we were like, okay, so how can we change it? If it's a Latino superhero, like, you know, all superheroes have a lonely journey and, and all superheroes, like, you know, they protect their loved ones by keeping their identities a secret. So we were like, well, if you're a Latino, good luck keeping a secret from a Latino mom. And because that was the mantra, we were like, okay, so everything happens in front of the family and superhero that the family is involved from the beginning where his identity is not a secret. Everything just felt organic. And instead of using the family as bait, we wanted all of them to have uh, an, a heroic arc. So instead of him having to save their family, their family are saving him. Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Director's Guild of America. In this episode, a young man is made into a superhero after being chosen by an alien entity to be its symbiotic host in director Angel Manuel Soto's action-adventure, Blue Beetle. The film tells the story of Jamie Reyes, a recent college graduate bestowed with a suit of armor capable of extraordinary powers, forever changing his destiny, but never the bond between him and his family. In addition to Blue Beetle, Soto's other directorial credits include the feature films The Farm and Charm City Kings, and the shorts Dinner Party, 22 Weeks, and I Struggle Where You Vacation. Following a screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Soto spoke with director Jomé Colette Serra about filming Blue Beetle. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. Hello. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Thank you guys for being here. <laughs> Angel, congratulations. Thank you, man. Thank you. What an amazing movie. It's uh, so funny. It's uh, so exciting, emotional. Um, I'm really proud of you. I've known, you. Of, known you for a while now, and uh, I'm so proud to, uh, to be here and to, to be your friend. Um, what, uh, let's just start from the beginning. Like, how did you get into this crazy journey where, you know, did, was this a, a movie that you were looking for to make? Did the studio just come to you with this idea? Yeah, no, um, for, for me, it's, it was a random experience because after, after Sham City Kings, uh, in 2020 and Sundance, the, the world shut down with the co with COVID. And, um, and everything was going to streaming. I was in Puerto Rico in quarantine and I get a call from the guys at DC that they were working on a project that they, after watching Charm City Kings, they thought that I am, that, that I should be the one helming the project. And everybody should watch Charm City Kings, yeah, by the way, if you haven't yeah. seen it, it's an amazing movie. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and at first I was hesitant because I, I was caught off guard. I've never thought about me as a Puerto Rican kid having an opportunity to direct a movie like this. So I was very skeptical at first. You know, I, uh, when they said like a oh, Latino superhero, I was a little bit concerned about how they wanted to present Latinos since we haven't had a great track record in how we've been presented on cinema. And when I read the script from Gareth Dunet Alcosen, he's Mexican from Querétaro. 
um, I noticed that it was very authentic. It, it captured the soul and the spirit of how we see ourselves. And, um, and you know, the budget wasn't huge from the beginning. So for us, it was, I wanted to be very clear that if, you know, if they're going to be controlling how big the explosions are going to be, they have to let me control how authentic and the heart and the Latinidad of the movie is going to be. And, uh, and we had that respect and, and, and we they said, yes. It. Yeah. yeah. And I said like, okay, then I, I guess I'll do it. <laughs> uh, no, definitely. You nailed it. And I cannot imagine anybody else directing this Thank movie. Uh, and the representation is so, so good. Um, let's talk about, uh, Gareth and, and his script. Um, how much work did you put into it? Was it perfect? Is this what's on the screen? Did you work a lot on the script? Yeah, we worked a lot on the script. The script had the the essence of it, the family. He already had incorporated the the that inciting idea of how can we take the the formula of an origin story that exists and and tell it in our in our how we would tell that story, right? as opposed to being pretentious and trying to reinvent the wheel, which they would have never let us do that. Um, we were like, okay, so how can we change it? If it's a Latino superhero, like, you know, all superheroes have a lonely journey and, and all superheroes, like, you know, they protect their loved ones by keeping their identities a secret. So we were like, well, if you're a Latino, good luck keeping a secret from a Latino mom. <laughs> and because that was the mantra, we were like, okay, so, Everything happens in front of the family and, you know, our, our parents are still on our asses every day and even we're 40 and my mom treats me like I'm 12 and we were like, well, let's keep that into the whole energy of the film. So he had already had that, you know, so superhero that the family is involved from the beginning where his identity is not a secret, where the family, yeah, he can be this thing they don't understand, but they still give him shit. They still bully him. And that type of authenticity of how we relate to each other is the type of Latinidad we wanted to do. Because it's not the Latin, we were not trying to be Latino. We were just trying to be free to be ourselves. And by doing so, everything just felt organic. And instead of using the family as bait or as a prop or one-dimensional characters, we wanted all of them to have uh, an, a heroic arc. So instead of him having to save their family, their family are saving him. And every, every woman in his life has a, an important part on his development beyond sharing wisdom or inspiring. They actually uh, take action and are active participants in his journey. So all that stuff, we wanted to protect it from everything else and then explore all the emotions as, as, as intense as we like to experience them, whether it's loss, grief, love, fun, everything. We wanted to have uh, be that our anchor because we knew that we couldn't depend on being the, the most explosive action sequence because we didn't have a lot of, um, we wanted to maximize our budget by not depending so much on VFX. So let's depend on the emotionality. And once I came in, we started working on the subtext more of like, you know, the problems that the family face are problems that affect us in our communities. And uh, the intentions of the villain, we wanted to like 
not be on the extent of uh, overly uh, obvious, but having that gaslight manipulative energy, which affects a lot of Latin America, and also incorporating the collective trauma of interventionism in Latin America through the backstory of the villain. So that's the stuff that once I got into the project, we started to like weave in. Yeah, it definitely feels like it has a very strong theme, but it also has a lot of other complex mm -hmm. themes around it. And uh, it's really it's really cool and it really works. And as I know you keep saying that, you know, the movie is a small movie, but it doesn't feel like a small movie, you know? <laughs> no. it's Yo, all the action scenes and the explosions, I, it looks big. I agree, and, I, and I, I agree, so, I agree. You know, like um, when, I mean, small, you know, yeah. in, in terms of like... A, uh the the superficial spectacles expectations that people have of superhero movies but what we we never saw that as a challenge or we never saw it as a as a weakness or a threat to our project we just saw it as an opportunity to go back to original hero's journey and focus on that emotionality and that more character driven than spectacle driven. So to your point, uh, by embracing the heart of the movie, we were able to create something big that the action sequences feel like they are supporting the the dramatic the dramatic journey of our characters. Yeah, it, it definitely feels like that. And, and what just what you were saying about the superheroes always having a secret identity and trying to save the family. I think that one of the most original things in the movie is like having his transformation, his first experience of the power happen in front of his family. Mm -hmm. And he's terrified and he's really scary. And the family are there almost, you know, supporting him. And it's really original. Mm -hmm. You know, I've never seen that. And it really, it really pays yeah. off because then it includes them in the journey. Yeah, it allowed us, it allowed us to tell the stories that we love, that we have grown to love. That's why it has that nostalgic throwback energy to it because it's like how can we appropriate those moments that we love from other movies and see people like me or see family members of mine that are represented uh taking, how much how much of your experience in your life is represented like in uh, your, the family members or a lot <laughs> a lot of it like uh we even though the character of rudy george lopez character is um is not in the comic and is 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 a is is actually the uncle of the writer his name is Rudy and he wanted to like honor him he died while we were in production and uh, so we wanted to honor him but the thing is like i guess we all have a crazy uncle uh somewhere in the family and and we had one in my family and my mom saw the movie and she's like oh you based that on Theo Vitin and i'm like The mannerisms, the shorts and the mullet. Yes, you know, <laughs> and the kicking everything to turn it on. That was my uncle. Um, but also like the way um, how we see and we relate our lives towards our ancestors and that journey. That's something that is very common from from my father's side of the way he sees life. Um, you know, my father, his family was Santero. So their relationship with death is very different than the Catholic relationship with death. And, and for example, like all the walls of gentrification and displacements that's happening in, in their neighborhood uh, is inspired on the, the actual economical issues of Puerto Rico and, 
and the displacement of, of Puerto Ricans. And, um, and we wanted our hero and his family to, to understand the fact that they come from a world that's close to what happens to a lot of us uh, in marginalized communities and in Puerto Rico for that matter. Uh, and even like that scene when they're in the, in the Marisco's place eating and, and nobody wants to tell Jaime that the father had a heart attack and the sister is the one that breaks the news. That happened to me verbatim. I couldn't find my dad for three days. I thought he was at the beach and he didn't want to talk to me. And my sister is the one that calls me to tell me that my father was in the hospital and he didn't want to bother me because what I, so it's like the same you're, thing. You're Jaime. Right? The same yeah, thing that happened to Jaime happened to me in real life, yeah. yeah. So let's talk about Jaime Reyes and how, I mean, this, you know, Sholo Maridueña, I mean, he's an amazing actor and I think he's like, obviously he just came out as like, a huge star, you know, mm -hmm. in this movie. And you, you, um, did you know about him? Had you seen him before in Cobra Kai? Did you so, just audition him? So I, um, I met him a couple of years prior to me, um, of, uh, hiring him. I met him. I think he was 19. He had, he had done the first season of Cobra Kai and I had not seen the show and I met him and, and he impacted me because he's like a very down-to-earth kid, very humble. His family is always with him. Um, the way he protects his sister is admirable. And even though he's like, oh, he's like the kid from Cobra Kai, um, he always felt grounded and, and very charming. Uh, and, and very smart. Um, so that always stuck with me. I'm like, oh, that kid, he's a good kid. And in, in the pandemic, I, I caught all the Cobra Kai shows and and i i understood the hype that he had so for me it was when i get the project and i started reading the comics i realized that the same personality of jaime is the same personality of cholo the way he behaves in the comic with his family the way he talks and jokes how, how goofy he can be um is very much how he is in real life and on top of that he's a cup paste of jaime reyes in the comic like they both look physically the same. And he had martial arts background. So for me, it was like very obvious that he's the kid uh, to play Jaime. And once we started doing all the chemistry reads and seeing him interact with all the family members. How do you create, because obviously this movie would fall apart without the perfect family and the, that chemistry that you're talking about and you find the perfect Jaime. How do you go about finding the rest of the family? Like chemistry reads, rehearsals? So yeah. it was a similar approach. like. When, when reading the script and working on the script, it was evident that I, that Cholo was perfect for him. Uh, and the other two people that I know that I wanted, that I was like, I don't need to cast them, was I wanted Damian Alcosen to play the dad, and I wanted Adriana Barraza to play the nana. And not just because they are great for it, but they are like the best actors of Mexico. And I wanted to bring people from Mexico, from the city, uh, that are like the more celebrated actors in the country to be part of this movie. We wanted the actors to be authentically Mexican from the experiences that they've had. So like you have Belisa Escobedo and Cholo who are first generation. So we have two Mexican-Americans that are first generation. Then you have like George and Elpidia who they were, they, they, they were trailblazers uh, in the eighties, Elpidia, remember she was in Predator, uh, and George Lopez as a, as the entertainer that he is, 
we wanted to bring that those guys who know a lot, who remember everything from back in the day, but they're very much from here. Um, and then on the older ones, we wanted them to be from Mexico. Uh, and by doing that, it felt their authenticity and what they represent uh, was not hard to accomplish. Now, in terms of how to develop the chemistry, instead of rehearsing the script, uh, we spent those two weeks uh, before shooting just hanging around and talking, uh, tell stories about your life. Like, what is your darkest secret? What was your journey? And having the elders talk to the kids like all they have gone through in their lives in order to be where they are, all their losses, their sacrifices. You know, uh, Elpidia is from Cherang, and she was talking about how it was when she was younger over there. And then you see the, the kids like in shock because they wouldn't have known all the struggles that they these other actors have been have gone through to be where they are today. And that level of respect started to translate in the camera as, as love and, and devotion. And that way they know they have this emotional connection to, to their, you know, their acting parents that feels like that, like that love of like, I know what you've been through. I know your darkest secret, you know, and you know my darkest secret. And that, that was that the created way the family, the family chemistry. Family. Did any of that information make it into the script or anything or any like? Uh, no, no maybe just some just colloquial things, you know, like. Um, How did you unify the accents and all of that? Yeah, like, uh, for, ex like for example, like the, the, we never talked about that in a way. Like it, it just came organically and, and the fact that we all knew like, oh, the family, like they, they, they had come from Sonora at one point. So we, everybody there was very well aware. But if, like, for example, Alpidia, she's from Sherang, and they call insects chumbos. So she kind of, like, brought it into, like, the, oh, what's that chumbo thing again? Or oh, it looks like a chumbo. Like, so those little quirks that are more regional in Mexico, we kept them because it felt natural to, um, to the experience from their past. And even, like, Nana saying the stuff that she says about why they left Mexico, is something that that was the reason, like why they actually did some of the stuff they did. So, how was shooting a scene with the family in their living room? Must have been <laughs> like it must have felt like real life, no? After a while, yeah, no, it was great. Like we, the first thing we shot, like that first week that we shot, we shot that scene where where Jenny comes in and 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 the exposition of what the scarab is and what they're gonna do, uh, and and it helped because that scene was meant to be chaotic. So they were, they were still trying to, to fit in, but because of the chaos, it helped a little bit of um, instability of how weird it is. But by the end of the movie and by experiencing a lot of the things together, then the other parts of the family that are more, that shows that the families lived in, we, lived, we did that later on. And they were already a close knit by then. And, and talking about Jenny, how did you find Bruna? Bruna was amazing to find. Like I, I, I purposefully wanted uh, the character of Jenny to be played by a Brazilian because Brazilians are often left out of the Latino conversation uh, because they speak Portuguese, but they are they are Latino. So I wanted, you know, if the movie was gonna have this, um, you know, people are gonna be talking about it as a Latino film, even though Latino is not a genre. Um, 
yeah, we're not a gender, right? we're, we're just people. Nobody says like, oh, the Irish superhero. But so, because people are gonna do that anyways, uh, we wanted to include Brazil. And I mean, I recognize the power of Brazil. I love Brazilian cinema and I know that they're a huge market also. And so in, the, in that whole pursuit of finding the perfect Jenny, uh, I came across a tape that she did for another movie. I don't remember which one. And, you know, she's equally beautiful inside and out, but she had this capability of, of being vulnerable and empowered at the same time, like very strong, but, at the same, but very much in line with her emotions, but control, but knows when to let go. And it, it, for me, it was like that, the, that strong female that I was used to uh, witnessing in my family. And I wanted to have her uh, project that and Bruna gave that to me on a tape that wasn't even for my movie. It was in the chemistry read with him and her and Cholo. They have a lot of chemistry. You the can chemistry tell. was so good, like off the bat, you know, um, and, and, and that's very hard to do, especially, you know, when two people don't know each other, they're from different cultures uh, and they work really well. They were beautiful together. That's great. And then let's talk a little bit about the bad guys. You know, you have Susan Sarandon, who's an amazing actress. And, and what is it, Ra Raul Trujillo? Raul. Raul. You know, how did you find I mean, Obviously, Sarandon is, you know. Yeah, no, like, uh, I, wanted, I wanted somebody like Raul to play that character. And I wanted his character to have also an indigenous uh, uh, element to it. Because, you know, Latinos are half indigenous people in them. And they're never given that a lot of that is opportunity <clears throat> to be to 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 play that version of themselves so being able to have Raul Max Trujillo play uh, a you know an, an indigenous Latino from Guatemala was very special for me you know uh, and besides he's like he's the kindest person I've ever met but he always plays the most vicious villain yes <laughs> he's so great uh, and he's very funny too uh, so I really wanted him to embody that you know And, um, and for Susan, uh, I wanted, when I spoke to her about it, she, she's very socially conscious, which I, I appreciate it. She's been an ally of, of the Latino causes for, for a long time. In the 90s, she, 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 was a, she did the voiceover for a documentary about the School of the Americas. So she knew exactly what her character represents. Uh, she knew that her character as an allegory of the military industrial complex and, and the, the, the interventionist in, in Latin America, she knew that she had to play it in a way that wasn't like overly bad. Look at me, I'm going to kill everybody. No, because that's not how it happens. It's always like, no, we're here to help type of idea. And we wanted to keep it that way. We didn't want to go to an extreme Uh, and not make it believable because that's how they come into, that's how they come through the door. Uh, and she understood it. And when I was pitching it to her, she's like, Angel, Angel, I'll be your token gringa, don't worry. <laughs> I'm like, okay, good, thank you. <laughs> so that, she, she, was, she, wasn't, she wasn't hard at all to convince. And once she saw the whole cast and the story and the script, she, she, she understood the importance of having a movie like this, what it means for us. With, with Raul's, um character and the fact that you save until the very end his backstory i mean that was such 
an impactful moment, I feel. And yeah, it's uh, was that in the script? Was that they yeah, came out about it? Yeah, it was in the script. Uh, in the script, we had some of those flashbacks peppered in. That's you know, what I mean. It's normally you would just kind of tease, but yeah, you kind of left everybody that. with the little, you know, key. Yeah, the, we had some, like, we had some motives to yeah. tee up the and pepper some of the images, which you know, with the idea of like what's happening, like it's it's pieces of the puzzle. You know, we were trying to think about it in in how we think about memory, and it's never like a complete paragraph and especially due to his trauma and the loss of memory were things that were coming up after the OMAC attached to him uh but then we had to cut time we had to do a bunch of things yeah but uh, i think it really pays off like this whole idea of like his family or weakness or or strength right that's the theme that you have the the counterpoint right so like that was always there but once we had it to compress down we were like well maybe there's something interesting here of of playing with the trope of the the villain that's just bad because for us there's you know when they present latinos or the, my experience watching latinos in film like from west side story to carlitos way is like they're they have they're just bad you know they never tell you what happened prior to that we have never had the chance to to do godfather 2 right oh, oh this happened in sicily this is what happened and like we never had that opportunity. So for me, it was very important to show that this villain who is ruthless, who is operating in a kill, kill, kill mode, um, there is a backstory to him. And how this backstory to him is not there to absolve him from his sins, is there to show that if you peel those layers and you get to the root of the trauma, something must have happened for him to be this way. And once, you know, doing the whole therapy approach, of tapping into that trauma that you have suppressed for so long, you start to remember and you realize that, you know, I am a product of my environment. You know, I, this, something was done to me that maybe be this person and that compassion, that compassion that is revealed through witnessing the experience that this person has never been able to have because his trauma was weaponized by Victoria. Um, Jaime showing him that compassion creates a click in somebody that maybe, you know, he, he's still guilty of the stuff that he did, but he went and he kind of like absolved himself through a sacrifice of fire, you know? No, that's, that's great. I mean, the movie, I think one of the most surprising things is how emotional it is Mm. and how it has many emotional moments, um, you know, how do you approach those moments as a director? I mean, is it something that you really plot in your mind? Is it something that, I mean, you know, when you're on set, I mean, do you get emotional behind the monitor? Yeah. You know, is it like, how do you, how do you, you know, because they're difficult. I, do. I, I mean, I like emotions. I like, I like to make people cry. <laughs> and, but for me, there's something about like, I, I like visceral emotions. I don't like the superficial ones. And, and, um, I guess like in the spirit of Latin cinema, you know, um, we spend time with the characters and we spend time. That first act is very important so that once we go into the whole suffering, you feel a visceral reaction to it because you're very invested in the characters. I feel like every character gets an emotional moment. and Exactly. And we wanted to do that. And we- it's almost like part of the Latin culture is like we are emotional people. Mm-hmm. 
and it's like, I like how Nana at the end gives permission to for everybody to cry at the end. It's like, you know, finally, you know, yeah. but it's, so it's, uh, it's, you know, but there's a director, it's, it's, it's well, hard to, I, I to like know to that you have that. it in the can, you know, it's yeah, hard to know like when. Yeah, like for me, we knew, we wrote the, we knew what the emotional beats were going to be. And we knew that it couldn't be too early because it like, it's like, it's very hard. I'm not going to say impossible. It's just, it's very hard to, to, especially on superhero movies that have a specific demand to create this, especially and with a character that is fairly new and is just getting introduced in the cinematic universe to create this emotional connection uh, that when you lose that person, you're not just witnessing somebody that that character love dies. You know, it's something that you learn to love along the way also die. And because you love them, and for example, like with Milagro, you see like she's a tough girl and, you know, she was there when her father had the first heart attack and she has this shell. And then she's like yelling for mom and you, because you already know her, seeing her go to that moment of grief, it's very um, heartbreaking. Um, and even like with the flashbacks of car parks, you know, not only like showing the kid witnessing the trauma, but also telling it in backwards and using uh, archival footage from the School of the Americas uh, to intercut with it just creates a very uh, unconscious weave of events that you you get it right away. And you feel for him getting the little kid and then him, like you change your perspective. It's, it's, it's enough time for you to lose yourself a little bit, but not lose track of the plot. And then the after, you know, when they're, when they, they're in the, like the cosmic realm, you know, playing with the whole idea of, of, um, of the magic realism of swords and embrace that from Latin culture or literature, uh, how can we tell our version of it, you know, in a way that feels like it's supporting the journey of our character? Not just uh, so tying the same the same way that I like to tie action to the story and the emotion. Emotion also needs to be tied to the story. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, the dad doesn't die because yeah. something fell off him. He died because the stress, the heart attack of seeing everything you have worked for so long yeah. get destroyed and feeling impotent. That is what causes his death. So it's it's finding deeper ways to. To, to get to the, the root of the emotion as opposed to just showing somebody cry and that's it. And the, at the same time with comedy, like the movie is actually hilarious. <laughs> uh, so like George Lopez was obviously amazing comedy. Like how was your approach to directing him? Uh, would you like just let him go? Did you improvise a lot? How, because he has every, it seems every moment is so winning. <laughs> Well, the, uh, Garrett is a really funny writer. Um, a lot of the stuff was already, a lot of the comedy was on the script, uh, but most of it also came from improv. Uh, and, um, set or before? On set. On set. Um, cause, um, we, Har Harvey Guillen, who is amazing, uh, he was telling us of an experience in what we do in the shadows. And is that uh, after they shoot the script, they have a fancy take. And it's like, we're going to have fun. Like we can do, you can be ridiculous. You can be stupid. You can say whatever you want. You already know the, the, the scene. You already know the intention. 
So whatever you're going to improve is going to be related to the intention. And uh, so we started doing that and it turned out to be very funny. And with George, uh, he, he's, he, he, he understood the importance of it. He took everything very seriously, but he also enjoyed the fact that we gave him the liberty. So we just let the camera roll for him to just do whatever he wanted. And once I got the thing that I needed and we were good in time, I'm like, okay, we can do like three more takes of something ridiculous. You know, when he when he's yelling and he says, mom, he took the taco and he fails. That's one of those moments. Uh, like, is that a Tamagotchi? Like that, he just throw that. Uh, when he says like, no more blind dates. I, I heard that. <laughs> I heard that line, I think, after we were cleaning production things. They were like, what? He said that? <laughs> That's funny. So we left a lot of those things. And uh, when he's saying, like, you know, my testicles are seven times the number of size. That's, that, that, we left the camera rolling for like 10 minutes. And he, had, he gave like a bunch of amazing things, things that would have given us an R-rated. <laughs> and we could, yeah, he started soft and then he went hardcore. And we're like, okay, we can cut it now. Um, but it, it was always very helpful to allow him to get those moments, you know, um, and also finding them randomly when we were doing cleanups. Well, thank you, Angel. I think we have to wrap up, but you've made an okay. amazing movie. Thank I'm you. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys for being here. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America.